circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin. This is occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. This week on Full Circle, we have two updates for you. First, on tonight's show, we'll get an update on the case of Timothy Charles Lee. He was the young man who was found lynched at a Concord BART station in 1985. Timmy was my cousin, and we are organizing the second annual memorial walk for Timothy Charles Lee. That's next Thursday, November 2nd, the day he was found hung in a fig tree in 1985 at Concord BART. Then later in the second half of the show, we'll hear from the Palestinian Youth Movement, a grassroots independent community-led organization um, connecting young Palestinian diaspora. Uh, The Palestinian Youth Movement has been instrumental in helping organize huge rallies in support of stopping the ongoing genocide in Palestine. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewill and Franklin. Coming to you from downtown Antioch, this is Bay Miwok Territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, this is Free Will and Franklin, Frank Sterling. Again, thanks for joining us on Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and people like myself, graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. And I'm excited tonight because I've been working hard on my uh, cousin Timmy, uh, Timothy Charles Lee, his second annual memorial walk. And many of the regular Full Circle listeners uh, will remember or our social media followers um, will be seeing uh, that Timmy's Walk is coming up November 2nd. And just a real quick recap for those that don't remember the name, Timothy Charles Lee. Um, Timothy Charles Lee, Timmy, as he was known as my cousin. And a big story back in the day, 1985, Um, My cousin um, was found hanging in a tree at the Concord BART station in what um, us, his family and his close family at the time believed was a racially motivated attack and a hate crime. Um, Timmy was a black man, a gay man, a Native American. Um, We shared the same grandmother. And um, as far as I understand, the story goes, um, Timmy was with a group of his um, school friends from San Francisco. He was at the San Francisco Arts Academy um, doing uh, majoring in fashion, and he had just won a fashion scholarship to actually go to Milan, Italy, and work on his own line of clothes. So he was very excited about that. Well, they had a little get-together on Friday night, which was um, November 1st, 
and they uh, broke up. He said he was excited to see everybody next week. He went home and he fell asleep on the BART um, coming from San Francisco to Berkeley, and he missed his transfer station and ended up at Concord BART at the end of the line. And we all know BART. You can't get back on it when the, um, the train is done. It's done. It doesn't run all night. He found himself stuck in Concord. And um, as we know now, he was found the next day, November 2nd, um, hanging in a fig tree um, near a vacant lot near the Concord BART station. Um, so I'm joined by a couple of guests that I've been working on uh, Timmy's case, looking back into the past to find out um, what happened to my cousin Timmy. But not only that, but what we can do um, in the future, in the present, to bring justice to um, our family and for Timmy himself, you know, wherever his spirit uh, may be riding. Um, and uh, as Maria mentioned off uh, the mic earlier, what would it do for our community, the community of Concord, the Bay Area, just the world we live in um, when justice is denied or justice has been gotten? Um, so first, let me introduce uh, Jennifer Kathleen Gibbons. Um, she's been working with me and our other guest, Maria, um, who I'll introduce in just a second. Um, Jennifer has been published in Salon, uh, McSweeney's, Stereo Embers, and the Jonestown Report. She graduated from Mills College, yay, and Vermont College of Fine Arts, and is proud of the role that um, she had in helping solve the cold case of the murder of Suzanne um, Bombardier, Susie as she was known, and um, she's working on a book about that case, Susie, um, and a novel about Ona O'Neill Chaplin. And um, Jennifer is a Contra Costa native, and she now lives in Central California. And um, she just lived a couple towns over from where Timmy was found in Pleasant Hill. Um, thanks for joining us again, Jennifer. Um, thanks for being on Full Circle tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I wish it was under happier circumstances. Definitely. And then uh, my other guest, if you all remember um, last year when we talked about my cousin Timmy, um, you may be familiar with Maria Judice. She's an artist, a cultural organizer, and a visual storyteller in cinema. Her recent film, Elephant, was shot in San Francisco and is currently screening around the world, engaging conversations of collective witnessing of racial violence on black mental health. Um, she's a generational San Franciscan committed to telling um, the often forgotten and admitted stories of those families that built the city. And um, her film, Elephant, takes Timmy into consideration. Thanks for joining us again, Maria, um, for being on Full Circle again with us. Thank you, um, Frank, and great to be here with you and uh, Jennifer under crazy worldwide circumstances, but glad to be here today working on something we all care about. Definitely. And um, again, let me just tell everybody that um, these two women here have been helping me along with uh, Sarah Blanco from La Onda Bajita um, to really dig into Timmy's case and look back into the past for what we can do to um, to to change the outcome of Timmy's case. Um, Timmy's case was ruled a suicide. There was a lot of evidence that points to it being a murder. Um, the ligature that was used to hang Timmy did not belong to him, um, yet it was destroyed within 24 hours. Um, some claim that there was um, cuts and um, abrasions and cigarette burns on his body, but the police ruled as insect bites. 
Um, neighbors in the area heard screams and uh, people fleeing the scene. And one of those neighbors even reports that when she went out to investigate the screams, she saw a group of people standing around a car with somebody riding something on the hood of the car and a uniformed officer not but 10 feet away. And when that officer noticed that this woman was witnessing them, she turned angrily and um, excitedly and gave chase. And this woman, Marilyn Hannum, um, I believe it's her last name, um, ran back to her house and locked the door. And there's uh, so much more evidence. So we're just going to talk about tonight, um, you know, what we've been doing these past months, meeting on a regular basis. And of course, Timmy's um, 2023, his second annual memorial walk will be happening um, next Thursday, November 2nd. So, well, let me just start off real quick with you, Jennifer. What is it um, about Timmy's case that uh, kind of piqued your interest in this? I know you're from the area. You kind of remember the time. You know, what has driven you to sit with me and Maria and um, Sarah to really work on this and, you know, uh, talk about it regularly and try to figure out how we can get justice? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, after 2020, with everything, we saw what happened with um, Mr. George Floyd and all the other things that was going on. I remembered, I thought, well, who's the guy who died at Concord Bart? And then I found him. And friends and some business people kept on saying, work on a new cold case, work on a new cold case. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if I could do it again after Susie. But I also know that something didn't sit right about what happened. Uh, I think the Conquer, I don't blame the Conquer police. I think they were working on the assumption that, oh, that couldn't happen in here, our town. But I think it did, something did happen. And when I started doing research, and I, I Googled Timmy's name, and that's how I found Maria. And I thought, okay, now I get it. Because she was making a documentary. And so I emailed her. And she said, yes, yes, give me everything you can. So I started emailing the information to her. I think the big thing is I felt guilty because I didn't want to believe this could happen near where I lived. A lot of st I knew some not so okay stuff happened in my hometown and the surrounding areas, but I didn't want to believe that happened. And this is my way of trying to right or wrong. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, again, that's the uh, voice of Jennifer Kathleen Gibbons and um, Maria Judice. You were on, you know, almost a year ago talking about Timmy. Um, you've done some work on your own and you got an actual special connection. Um, Timmy, I didn't mention or well, I, I briefly mentioned his family and him were living in Berkeley um, when he missed his transfer. Um, to get onto the Berkeley train. And that is where some of your family is from. So 
Maria, tell us um, about your special connection to this case and what is it that drives you to to work on this and to meet with me and Jennifer and Sarah and other folks. Uh, we've been lucky to meet some of Timmy's extended family who've been also meeting with us. Um, so yeah, tell us about your connection and, you know, what drives you to help us, you know, try to fight for justice for Timmy. Yeah. I will also just start to say like, it's been a year. <laughs> um, I think it's been probably almost more than a year, um, since we first connected, uh, me and you, Frank, and it's been maybe almost going on three years with, uh, Jennifer. We've, we've been back and forth for a while, um, on email. It started during the pandemic, um, our conversation, and for me, my connection really happens to be a personal one, one that's connected to family. And I think we all have this, um, especially those of us who are black and brown and end up in a lot of uh, situations of racial violence. When we see these faces on screen, we start to recognize ourselves in these faces. And um, I remember thinking of Oscar Grant and being like, oh, he looks like a cousin. Um, and this exactly happened when I first saw a picture of Timothy Charles Lee. Um, I discovered his murder through my grandfather, who was very good at being like, hey, here's a bunch of Black history that's very connected to San Francisco, um, the land, the place that we have loved for three generations. And I want you to be completely, deeply knowledgeable about it all. And before he died, he had a little note on a picture that he had taken of Timothy when he was hanged from the tree um, and it was a Polaroid and on the back of it, it had notes and then it had a posty note on it for me, but he was dead. So I couldn't really ask him a lot about it. And when I asked other family members, they only knew like a tiny impression of remembering it. You know, I was six or seven when it happened. And all I can say is it made so much sense to me about the way my family moved through and my family and other families uh, that were black just completely changed the way they moved through the Bay Area. Um, BART was not something that we felt comfortable on. Public transportation was not something we felt comfortable on. Um, we always traveled in groups. We really traveled, you know, within the Bay Area and that would really be Oakland and San Francisco. You know, I had half my family in Oakland, half in San Francisco. Very rarely did we hang out in, you know, those outer suburbs like Antioch and Pittsburgh, um, even though through gentrification in the 90s, most of those people moved out, <laughs> out there. Um, but, you know, in the... In, 1985, this was that kind of first piece of BART opening up to the suburbs and making that transportation and Black mobility um, very easy and very clear and a very definite voice of opposition that was coming from racist and also a large majority white community who did everything from picket, which you can easily find this on any Google search, um, picket at, at the BART station for the length of most of its construction in Concord and in Lafayette uh, stations and, and really just deter any movement into those cities. And I just want to say that the reason why I really find this really connected for me is that that has not changed that sentiment. 
even today. Like when we go there, we did a wonderful event for Juneteenth this year in Concord. And even there, you could hear stories and comments from the Black and Brown community that live there and the LGBT community that live there that have made it work, but still exist under a lot of oppression and, and have to maneuver their way very carefully through a space that is highly policed and, and highly surveilled um, for their existence. So... I hope that wasn't too long, but so that's <laughs> no. why that's why I'm here. <laughs> Definitely. And I appreciate both of your time because we it has been a long time um, for us to be meeting, talking, going through, you know, a terrible history, looking at diagrams. Um, you know, you got a, a, a graphic photo uh, left to you. Um, but we're getting close to running out of time. I want to remind everybody that why we've been meeting is because we are trying to get Timmy's um manner of death ruled from a suicide to a homicide. So what we're trying to do is just elevate Timmy's vo uh, Timmy's name, bring it back to the consciousness of the community. And one way we have been doing that is by organizing um, Timmy's Memorial Walk. We had a great turnout last year at the first annual Memorial Walk. Now, this is not to say that there wasn't major action and protest of the day. Uh, a lot happened at the street level. A lot of activity took place in the, um, the immediate aftermath of Timmy's uh, murder. And I feel like that's what's kind of carried on into us as well. So I want to just let you all know before we do run out of time and I can get some more words from our guests that we'll be gathering Thursday, November 2nd at the Rainbow Community Center in Concord. And we'll be um, gathering at three o'clock in the parking lot. And during that time, we will kind of share stories. I'll record some voices of why people came out um, to honor Timmy. And then we'll take a short walk. It's less than a mile down to the BART station where Timmy was found in the tree um, November 2nd in 1985. And there we'll have um, an offerenda for the uh, Day of the Dead, All Souls Day. And we're going to make some uh, paper plate skeleton uh, faces. And we'll also have a lineup of speakers, including um, elected officials from the area that chose to come out and support um, from the Concord City Council, hopefully from the Antioch City Council, as well as um, other community organizers. So I want to remind you, Thursday, November 2nd, 3 p.m., rally up at the Rainbow Community Center in Concord, and then we'll walk down to BART for a little speaker series um, around 4 o'clock. You could find that information on the Facebook page of Reopen the Case of Timothy Charles Lee. That's Reopen the Case of Timothy Charles Lee on Facebook. And, of course, I'll have links to all that on our website, tonight just after the show kpfaapprentice.org now before we do run out of time um, we talked briefly um, earlier Maria that you know what is important about what we're doing we're fighting for justice for um, my family for Timmy that justice has been denied but what does it do when we restore that justice we get justice what does it do for not only the family but the community um, I'd like to wrap up with this from um, Maria and then we'll get some parting words from Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing is that our children deserve to move through a space freely um, today and not be over policed and over surveilled by um, our government or by a uh, white conservative nationalists. Like, I think there's an important space here to 
move through this trauma that has happened in the past. And Timothy is, is one example of many of them, but he's a part of this racial trauma and legacy and moving through it helps us to relieve this white guilt into actual action and for people not to hold on to the guilt that happened into the past for people to not hold on to the trauma that happened into the past so that we can build from this point that we are now to say hey you can get on BART after hanging out with your friends and then go home and maybe fall asleep and get home safely without being lynched um, 30 miles away from where you actually live. Like, I think that's an important thing. And we don't have that guarantee right now. I mean, I don't have kids, but if I had kids, I would be definitely um, walking and taking them everywhere they went because I do not feel safe for black and brown kids in, in San Francisco, Oakland, you know, most of the Bay Area. And real quick, before we go to Jennifer, tell us where people could find out more information about your work, about your film, and um, Code Tenderloin is something that you work with. Uh, where can people find out your social media or how to find you? Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, and thank you to Code Tenderloin, who has helped us um, do a few of these events for the Juneteenth and uh, will be also helping us for our, our Day of Remembrance for Timothy. Um, Code Tenderloin is located in San Francisco. It's at 55 Taylor. You can find us on CodeTenderloin.org. And we do everything from barrier removal for people with uh, transitions in their lives, from homelessness to drug addiction to formerly incarcerated. So, you know, whatever you need, knock on our door come through we are here for you um and all my work is online you can either google me or go to my website at mariaaj.com and hopefully you know coming into 2024 because you know this year almost over um we will start to build out uh this documentary and what's what's it look like because i think the work that all three of us are doing and including sarah and the family you know our little group has gotten much much bigger is about spreading the word and finding different means and ways to say, whether it's media, whether it's a book, whether it's articles, whether it's a radio show, to say different ways of like, this happened and how do we deal with what happened? And, you know, in very complex ways, we need very different forms. So you'll see that happen in 2024. Thank you, Maria. And um, Jennifer, how about you um, real quick, you know, what is it important for for you to help get justice? What's that mean? And then how people how can people find your work? I know you got a Substack and you're writing on a regular basis. So um, yeah, how, why is it important to get this justice? And where can people find um, your writing? Well, I think it's pretty. I also think that Timmy got pushed uh, to the side in a lot of ways, and he just because of that he deserves justice. People forget about two months after he died a plane crashed into our local mall, Sun Valley. And then a month later, the challengers happened. And Timmy was in the Met press a lot, but it got faded out. And I feel like people forgot about him and he should have never been forgotten about. Um, you could check out my Substack. It's on, It's called Live Your Life, Live Your Life, Live Your Life. And the essay about Timmy is called uh it's about small town i called it that because of that jason aldean country western song and it felt like well this might have happened in my small town and so it was my response to it but yes please uh subscribe read it and i promise i won't spam you 
Thank you again. And we'll post links to everybody's information on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Again, thanks for uh, being here tonight and for all the time you spent um, helping in the fight to bring justice for Timmy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you too, Jennifer. Thank you so much. All right. Again, welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle on KPFA Radio. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm your host tonight, Freewell and Franklin. And you just heard my conversation with artist, cultural organizer, and visual storyteller Maria Judice and writer Jennifer Kathleen Gibbons. We are part of a small group of people that is working to reopen the case of Timothy Charles Lee. Please like and follow that Facebook page to stay on top of news and actions regarding the lynching case of Timothy Charles Lee. One more time, that's reopen the case of Timothy Charles Lee on Facebook. Now we'll spend the rest of the hour on the current ongoing attempted genocide of the Palestinian people happening in Gaza and the West Bank. As of the time I'm submitting this show to air, the Israeli government has cut off cell phone communication to most Palestinians. They have ramped up airstrikes and have increased limited ground operations. Many believe this is in the lead up to a possible broader ground invasion. And at the same time, in the background, a resolution has overwhelmingly passed in the United Nations calling for a humanitarian truce in Gaza. The 193-member world body adopted the resolution by a vote of 120 to 14, with the United States, Israel, and a dozen other countries voting against it. There were 45 um, abstentions. After the surprise attack by Hamas October 7th, Israel has devastated Gaza with indiscriminate attacks, taking out hospitals, schools, and residential buildings, bringing the number of dead in Gaza to over 7,000 people, at least 2,000 of them children, and that's not counting another 1,500 people that are missing and are believed to be buried under rubble of collapsed buildings. Yesterday, I spoke with Rami. He's an organizer with the Palestinian Youth Movement to talk about his experience as part of the Palestinian Youth Diaspora, um, the world's response to this devastation, as well as an upcoming action tomorrow in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me on today and, and really capturing our perspective. Yeah, so um, we chatted for just a couple seconds before we started uh, recording this interview. Tell me just a little bit about yourself so people know who you are, your family connections um, to Palestine, how your roots go back. Um, I understand that your grandparents were expelled. So give us a little brief history of your family. Yeah, thank you. So um, I come from two parents who were immigrants. One of them came from Jordan. Uh, the other one came from Lebanon. Um, both of my grandparents um, on both sides of my family were expelled from Palestine. One of them has a long family lineage in Ramallah. Uh, my other side of my family has um, lived in, in Haifa. And uh, both of my grandparents were expelled um, in 1948. And uh, my father, um, even though he was born in Lebanon, has uh, Palestinian, Palestinian refugee status. I grew up with 
you know, an Arab family here in the United States. Um, I grew up in Southern California where there wasn't a large Arab community in North County of San Diego. So I was pretty disconnected. Um, the only kind of version of community that I had was my mother and my, my grandmother mostly is kind of my image of, of culture and community and, and really staying connected back to my roots, whether that be language, whether that be culture and, and especially, you know, politics. I would say uh, what was really instrumental for, you know, me becoming politically active and involved in, and and taking an active role in the Palestinian struggle um, was, was learning about the Palestinian youth movement. Um, the PYM is an organization that, um, it's a grassroots independent community-led volunteer organization that uh, really works to uplift youth here in the diaspora. So as we know, you know, as we're separated from our homelands, we become continually and generationally disconnected um, from where we're from. And that's, of course, you know, part of the assimilationist project of the United States. And what the PYM really works to do is connect us back to our people and not uh, make us feel like we are apart from our people, but that we are one with our people and that we not only just support Palestinians back home, but we are one with them. We just have a different locale. Definitely. Thank you for that. And um, real quick, just kind of reflect on that because I would ask you um, and about you and your parents. So your um, both your grandparents are from Palestine and then your parents um, or your grandparents were forced out and then to Lebanon and Jordan, like a lot of Palestinians. Um, so does your, um, your father, your mother and yourself consider yourself Palestinians or what do you consider yourself now that you're just talking about your identity and your culture kind of trickling away and, you know, gripping it to be held together. So are you Palestinian, Jordan, Lebanese? What do you, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of a melting pot over there. Um, I would say I'm, I'm mostly Palestinian because both of my parents um, are Palestinian. And then uh, my grandmothers on both sides are, are from Lebanon and then um from Jordan. So I would say, you know, I'm mostly Palestinian, but um, I would, you know, a quarter Lebanese, a quarter Jordanian. Um, but I think the heart of my politic is truly Palestinian. All right. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. It's kind of like um, a lot of people talk about um, myself. I'm a California Indian, a Native American here, and the links between what's happening in Palestine right now and uh, what happened to uh, Native Americans here in the United States. So I, I, I feel like my history that I've, you know, watched in the past um, taking place even more severely with these more advanced weapons. And um, it's just it's just maddening. But I see how gripping on to your language and your culture is important. And I thank the Palestinian youth movement for helping to facilitate that. Um, well, let me ask you, um, I kind of opened up in the beginning. Um, we've been watching the continued devastation um, that's happening in Palestine, the hospital that was housing um, people looking for a shelter from the bombing um, gathered there, as well as people that were in the hospital be being treated. 
um, the schools, the, um, the, just the communities. It seems indiscriminate. Also, the reports of white phosphorus. I can go on. And this is, like we said, been happening um, for years um, since the Nakba. So a lot of people may or may not know about the Nakba. Can you just briefly describe that? And then we'll get an update on, um, you know, what have you heard of the latest um, from family and friends uh, back in Palestine? But in 1948, the Nakba happened. Kind of give us the quick um, rundown on what was that? So what happened in 1948 um, was the subsequent um, Nakba, which is the, the what's called the catastrophe um, in Arabic for Palestinians. And on the flip side of that coin, that same year is uh, also known for, you know, Israelis and, and the West as uh, Israel's independence. What the Nakba looked like is Zionist paramilitary forces um, storming villages, raiding homes at gunpoint, um, forcing uh, Palestinian families, mothers, fathers, the elderly, um, out of their home, sometimes with only the, the clothes on their back, um, to walk uh, straight to the borders of Jordan or Lebanon or to flee in boats. Um, it was complete destruction, complete war. Um, there's a, a very, um, you know, a massacre that Israel has really tried to hide for, I mean, they try to hide all of their history, really. Um, and I think that's why the bombardment of Palestine and, and the annihilation of Palestinians is so important to them, because the essence and the visuals and the reminders of Palestinians even being there is a reminder of their history and that they aren't native to the land. Um, but anyway, uh, there's a, a, a massacre called Dir Yassin, um, where uh, over 200 Palestinians in Dirias, in the village of Diriasin were cornered and killed, um, lined up um, at gunpoint. Um, and which, you know, I, I hate to bring this in, but visually um, is, is very similar to the Holocaust. It's, it's kind of visually what, um, what the Nazis did to the, the Jews in Europe. And this kind of massacre is meant to ethnically cleanse. It's not meant to scare. It's not meant to intimidate. It's meant to exterminate. And um, my grandparents, if they didn't flee, they would have, you know, likely been killed. Um, there's a reason why a majority of the population in not only Gaza but but the West Bank are are refugees. Um, there's a neighborhood in in the West Bank called Sheikh Jarrah. They face constant um, threats by the Israeli government of losing their homes. They have uh, settlers actually living in portions of their homes in Sheikh Jarrah. And most of the families there are second generation refugees. They were expelled from one place and now they're getting expelled from Sheikh Jarrah. So it's a, a, a history of of expulsion, um, but also resilience because our people have managed um, to stay alive, um, stay resilient and, and ensure that they will never be forgotten. And I think I'm a good example of that because I'm, you know, second generation removed living here 
in the belly of the beast and I'm, I'm fighting um, hard for Palestinian liberation here in the United States, even though, you know, it was my grandfather and my other grandfather who were expelled in 1948. Um, there were over uh, two thirds of the population in Palestine that were expelled in 1948. And that's what explains um, such a large refugee population of Palestinians all across the world. We are a huge diaspora, um, over 7 million. Uh, and we live everywhere, you know, we're everywhere. And that's why the PYM um, is so successful is because we have branches transnationally. Um, and so that's kind of a picture of what the Nekba was. It was truly forced displacement and, and annihilation. And um, what's so scary about what's happening now and so dangerous is that these, this is the worst um, cleansing of our people that we have seen since the Nekba in 1948. Yeah, thank you for that vivid um, description. And um, before we move on, just tell me, um, you had a moment that you you felt like um, describing people being lined up and like literally executed, like a, a mirror image of what they themselves had experienced. How does that leave you feel? Because I know it disturbs me to to realize or at least feel like and see that they have become their what what they were victimized to. Yeah. So how does that make you feel to to see this and to feel this and to hear these stories? Yeah. I mean it's it's um it's sickening. It's really, really upsetting. Um and it's I think one reason why there are so many anti-Zionist, you know, Jewish people uh here in the Imperial Corps and across the world is because they recognize that um, there is a direct link between how Palestinians um, experienced uh, ethnic cleansing in this in a very similar way that that Jewish people did and have. Um, but I think one thing it really speaks to is the nature of white supremacy um, and how dangerous and destructive white supremacy is to the point where um, it will capitalize off of off of um, the struggles of Jewish people um, in order to establish this kind of beacon of the West of white supremacy of imperialism and capitalism on native homelands in, um, in, in Palestine. And um, I think the true nature of, of Israel and Zionism is anti-Semitic. I mean, um, Zionism was established to um, not, create a homeland for the Jewish people, but to be used as a prop for white supremacy um, to remove the Jews from Europe. Um, that was the original foundation of Zionism. It wasn't to create a sanctuary um, and and um, obviously not to to force you know people across the world to to stop discriminating and trying to um, expel and murder Jewish people, but it, it it posed Israel as a solution to the Jewish problem, which was to to expel them out of Europe and into into native land, and that is inherently uh, anti-Semitic and wrong and. Um, I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We have the documents, we have the facts. 
um, but it really takes um, on the ground uh, movement building and organizing to get that message across and to have people across the world understand that the the message behind Zionism is not safety. It's um, actually makes people more more unsafe and fuels anti-Semitism. Definitely, I agree. I feel like there's there's no way to bomb and kill your way out of this, mm-hmm. and it's it's um, it's 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 almost unbelievable. But it's it's happened so long, and we see the United States prop it up and do it themselves in Iraq, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, Libya, just you name it. So I want to say it's unbelievable, but it's something we see over and over again. Again, well, thank you for um, for helping us um, understand this. And then I don't want to dwell on how terrible and messed up things are happening there, but I think it's important that people hear mm-hmm. how bad it is. So because um, we are um, inundated with support Israel, um, the media here will call Hamas, Hezbollah, and everybody else that fights for liberation there. Um, Ter- uh, terrorist organizations mm-hmm. while Israel um, will just be, you know, defense soldiers or the Israeli military mm-hmm. um, as they commit atrocities and war crimes, um, even recognized by the United Nations. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about some of the stuff that has disturbed you and what, what's got you very angry. And then we're going to uh, move into um, the resistance because there has been um, another media blackout, and that is the resistance that's going on all over the United States and all over the world. Yeah, um, I think aside from the blatant lies and propaganda um, that has been uh, blasted on every single TV screen, um, every media outlet, aside from that, um, it's just the pure uh, devastation Um and horror of what you're seeing, not only in Gaza, but in the West Bank as well. The Ministry of Health, I think, said that there have been over 700 massacres in the last two weeks, um, and over 7,000 Palestinians have been killed. And I think what's um, especially devastating is just knowing the population of Gaza, of 50% of the people there being under 18 years old, I mean, it's totally sickening and devastating um, what is happening to um, our families and our children and our elderly. Um, People are are literally being killed faster than they can be buried. Um, And it's it's really sick. And I think there's a moment for, oh, sorry, I get emotional. Um, There's there's a, a moment for Palestinians in the West that, you know, if the circumstances didn't bring us here, you know, we could be in Gaza. And a lot of us have family in Gaza. And obviously, it doesn't, that doesn't have to be the only thing of imagining yourself there. But um, it's, it's really, it's been devastating for our people. And um, just the, the consistent bombardment of hospitals, of schools, of residential buildings. I mean, when they say terrorists are their their target, I mean, we know terrorists has, the word terrorism has been a proxy for, for the destruction of, of, of 
you know, global people. Terrorism is a dog whistle for the American public to basically sign off on the genocide of of civilians. And you see this happening in, in Gaza. Um, you, you see the deliberate attack of, of civilians in Gaza to the point where Israel is has killed, I think, over 50 of their hostages. I think, I think today the New York Times reported that Israel has killed more hostages than they have um, the Hamas terrorists that they're going after. So that goes to show who Israel is really targeting and who, who the, uh, the genocidal settler regime of, of Israel is, is really going after. They're going after civilians and they don't care if their own people die. As long as this necessitates um, an additional funding from the United States, um, an additional land grab, um, and, and uh, more of the repression and the uh, the war on on brown and black people across the world that that they they try to necessitate with their with their violence. I mean, it's it's a win for them. Um, but I think they're there. This is also a result of the extreme embarrassment that they went through when their uh, most robust security apparatus in the world was breached um, by people who 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 have no resources. Um, they, they were completely embarrassed by the scale of resistance that they saw. Um, and this is their, you know, this was their reaction to that um, global embarrassment. And it, they take it out on the Palestinian people as they always have. Um, and I also, I don't want to take up too much time, but I also want to mention that, you know, while there are all eyes on Gaza, um, they are, uh, committing atrocities as they as they always have but to an even uh, um, even more intensified scale in the west bank um i think there have been a hundred over a hundred palestinians killed in the west bank since october 7th there have been two entire villages that have been um basically raised um they're they're empty now because they have forced the palestinians out um the 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 prisoner population the political prisoner population where they are holding thousands of of uh, men women and children hostage in Israeli prisons that has doubled in the past two weeks. Um, I there is the, the defense minister was seen handing out um, automated rifles to settlers in the West Bank. I mean they are capitalizing on this opportunity that everyone is is turning their heads to Gaza um, and they're not able to, to take, uh, take note of the atrocities and the land grabs and the land theft that's happening um, in the West Bank. There's so much uh, torture happening in the prisons. Two, two Palestinian political prisoners were killed um, recently from, from torture in the, in, uh, in the West Bank. So we have a, a horrible situation happening all over Palestine. And that's something they don't talk about a lot. I know there was a lot of controversy about um, the October 7th um, uprising and what happened with the people that they took as hostages, or we could say as prisoner. And um, 
what actually is going on on the other side in the Israeli prisons are full of Palestinians, many children, and they're being um, always mistreated. Um, people go on hunger strikes all the mm-hmm. time. People get to the edge of death, are beaten. So um, we know what goes on in there. Um, well, again, thank you for the explanation. Um, we got about five minutes left to go, and you mentioned it earlier about um, the resistance is global. Right here in the Bay Area, there's been a number of actions. Um, real quick, I know Palestinian Youth Movement and um, AROC and a, a host of other organizations have been helping to organize this. Talk about um, what you see all over the um, the country, the Bay Area, the globe, and then um, wrap that up with what's happening on Saturday in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think what we've seen in these past two weeks from the public, from the global community, has been complete and total um, uproar and taking to the streets, um, which has honestly been um, so heartwarming um, to see how, I mean, I haven't seen crowds like this in uh, all over the world, whether it be London, there were 300,000 people. Here in the Bay Area, there were 10,000 people at our last rally, and it is very much expected to grow uh, tomorrow on Saturday uh, for our rally. So we are seeing people across the Middle East where they, where you know, the United States has has um, ushered in these repressive governments. I mean, people are really um, coming coming to the defense of Palestinians and are meeting this moment in time and are not only calling attention to to what's, you know, the massacres and the genocide happening in Gaza right now, but they also know that none of this is happening in a vacuum. Um, It's happened from the um, decades and decades and 75 years of, of land theft and colonialism that we and other global people have faced. I mean, when people say Palestine is the compass, um, it really is. It is the it is the moral compass for what you stand for and what you stand against. Do you stand against the racist and murderous police forces here in the United States across the world? Um, do you stand against the security apparatuses that surveil us and criminalize us? I mean, these our struggles are all um, so in- interconnected, and I think. Um, seeing the, the the movement taking place across the world for Palestine um, really indicates that Palestine is a global struggle. Nothing happens in Palestine that that stays within Palestine. I mean, Israel is a symbol of the United States, of the West, of white supremacy, and of imperialism. And Palestine is a material uh, effect and symbol of of the liberation of all oppressed people. Um, and it's it's so inspiring to to see people taking to the streets in the numbers that they are, um, and not only calling for a ceasefire, which is is so needed, but also for the dismantling of of Israel and for the right of Palestinian refugees to return to their homes. Definitely, and big shout out to um, Eduardo Martinez of Richmond, who uh, the mayor and the Richmond City Council who got that uh, resolution through. Mm-hmm. Um, I was part of a meeting of the San Francisco uh, Democratic Caucus last night. They pulled their resolution. 
Um, I don't know if you heard that, um, but the community still came out and many people spoke out in public comments uh, to bring the resolution back. Um, well, uh, tell us what's happening tomorrow, Saturday in San Francisco. Where can people be? Uh, what time they got to be there to uh, join to uh, stand up for Palestine uh, tomorrow, Saturday in San Francisco? Yeah, we are having um, a Bay Area protest. Uh, the title of it is Stop the Genocide in Gaza. Um, it's happening tomorrow, Saturday, October 28th at 1 p.m. It's happening at Harry Bridges Plaza, which is right right near uh, Embarcadero Bart. Um, it's, I think it's near the ferry, the ferry building. Um, it's a really great space. Um, for community to come out and um, there's so many people out and about it's it's so powerful to see us kind of marching in waves throughout the the financial district which is very ironic um, but yeah that's happening tomorrow the 28th at 1 p.m and bring your this is a you know a very safe we have lots of security um, very peaceful event, um, and it's a way for community to come together. So bring your family, bring your friends, bring your children, bring elderly. Everyone is invited. And where can people look to, um, for that information if they wanted to look it up online? Yeah, you can look up uh, Palestinian Youth Movement on Instagram. Um, I think it's the same on Twitter. Um, and then we also have a really awesome partner partner organizations, um, JVP Bay Area, and um, of course the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, AROC, um, in San Francisco. We we organize, uh, and uh, we're we're obviously a, a broad coalition of organizations. Um, there's there's tons of other organizations, but if you want to follow us on Instagram at Palestinian Youth Movement, um, you can see all the updates there. Definitely. And we'll post a link to that on our website tonight, just after the show at kpfaapprentice.org. Real quick, Rami, my last question, we didn't get to it earlier, kind of forgot about it, but where we talked a little bit about the media here in the United States is very one-sided. It's very biased. It's not showing us the large demonstrations all over the country, all over the world that are saying no to genocide. Um, they're even silencing journalists and people and speakers and uh, people's social media for for just speaking out to support Palestine. Where do people that have family in Palestine, um, that have loved ones, where do people seek out alternative media? Where do you find um, better coverage? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for, for, for a lot of uh, Palestinians here in the Bay Area, a lot of them are reaching out to family if they even can. Um, but if you're looking for some really good sources of Palestinians on the ground, um, there's a couple Palestinian journalists I recommend. Um, uh, Motaz Zeza uh, is a great uh, Palestinian journalist, as well as Plastia Al-Qad. Those are good Palestinian journalists on the ground who are documenting um, the daily life of Palestinians under siege under and uh, under blockade in Gaza right now. Um, they actually just suspended a very uh, popular Instagram called Ion Palestine, um, which had over 7 million followers. Um, but that was a really informational and also horrifying source for um, seeing what's happening in Gaza that they're not broadcasting. I'd also recommend Middle East Eye and Gaza Now. Um, and as for... Um, like more established media, I would say Al Jazeera is a really good one. 
Democracy Now! has had really good coverage. Mondo Weiss, uh, Breakthrough News has had really great coverage, and The Intercept. Thank you. Thank you for all those advice. And uh, don't forget KPFA as well. I know all our listeners um, have been hearing some great coverage here on KPFA. Um, Rami, thank you very much for joining us tonight on Full Circle. I appreciate um, your time for coming on and, you know, giving us a little insight. Um, Also, some of your family history, how you um, trace yourself back to Palestine through your grandparents. Um, I hope and pray for everyone's safety. And I hope to uh, see you out on Saturday in San Francisco. Yeah. Thanks for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Thank you so much, Frank. Really appreciate it. And uh, happy to and excited to meet with you again, hopefully soon. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight for all the important links and information related to the two uh, stories you heard tonight. Also, please check out and like and follow the First Voice Media page on Facebook where we post live stream videos and other material that doesn't always make it to the radio. And a big shout out to the Full Circle crew, Miss M, the executive director, and me, Freewell and Franklin. I have been your host tonight. I'm also the technical director for this show, Full Circle. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. I'm exhausted. Last night I couldn't sleep, but when I did, I could hear bombs in my dreams. Nightmare situation. How could they be so evil? Making mortars out of children and innocent people. We expect the bombs, not knowing where next. Huddle in the corner of my room, trying to protect my little brother. As the building shakes like it's possessed, but nothing stronger than the will of the oppressed. I bomb back with my lyrics and rhymes. Living the times, trying to break the Palestinian minds. What's hiding in the clouds hanging over my head? My dad risks his life outside to buy bread the fourth war in my 12th year at this stage i'm numb though i haven't feel scared there's nothing i can do in this case to stay safe i'm brave even though this house could be in my grave i want freedom for the population two million prisoners living in this location shouting at the wall but nothing is ever changing that's life under an occupation i want freedom for the population two million prisoners living in this location shouting at the wall but nothing is ever changing that's life under an occupation mothers mourn fighting with grief white sheets covered by his death lie on the streets buildings turn to ash but my mind is made of steel so it doesn't take much for me to heal won't lose the will to live or lose our minds my auntie lost her home so she lost her life but she is still alive but traumatized by the bombs that flew in and dropped at night my sister couldn't sleep try to stop her cries i said it was fireworks i was telling her lies where's the compassion this is heartless it's like they want us all living in darkness cutting off water and electricity for hours they're knocking towers but that's not knocking the power that i have in my pen when i'm writing i'm unstoppable 
the microphone is the only escape possible Cause that's the way that I can speak my mind I wonder how does the fighter pilot sleep at night Knowing he can turn the city upside down all of a sudden Slaughtering families with the push of a button I want freedom for the population Two million prisoners living in this location Shouting at the wall but nothing is ever changing That's life under an occupation I want freedom for the population Two million prisoners living in this location Shouting at the wall but nothing is ever changing That's life under an occupation